this week on Dig Me Out. With your hosts, Jason Ziak and Tim Minichi. Jay, we're back again with another episode. Thanks to our Dig Me Out Union on Patreon. You can help us make the next episode happen by joining us at dmounion.com or digmeoutunion.com. Speaking of the union, Jay, this is a union-selected episode. It's part of our tournaments where we put up 18 albums over two weeks, nine per week. From people like you. Me? No. Well, yeah. If you're a listener of the podcast. I don't listen to the podcast. Oh, then not you. Everybody else listening except for you. No, I don't really like podcasts. Um, I prefer only written word. So you like music, right? Eh, I'm 50-50. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, I went to college with someone that didn't like music. They drove, they drove a Chevy Corsica that only had an AM radio station. Or an AM radio, and they only listened to sports talk radio. They didn't listen to music at all. They didn't own any music. There was no music in any part of their life. I, I can't trust somebody who doesn't like music. It was very strange. I don't know how that person progressed in life. <laughs> I just know that there was no music in, on purpose. No joy. But here, we have people who have brought us many albums many hours of joy with their picks thanks to our folks who go to digmeoutpodcast.com and drop an album suggestion in there we have a tournament and we have a winner of the november tournament let's get right to it let's talk about these records that were suggested in round one we had Whirlpool's self-titled album suggested by Willie Dillon. The Drop 19's National Coma suggested by Bill Davidson. The self-titled Edna Swap album suggested by Richard Waterman. L7's The Beauty Process suggested by Andrew McGinnis. White Zombies Astro Creep 2000 suggested by Eric Peterson. Massive Attacks Protection, suggested by Vadim Tavor. The Charlatans Between the 10th and 11th, suggested by Jeremy Amend. Love Nuts Baltimucho, suggested by Whitney Beeler. And the Trash Can Sinatras, suggested, or their album Cake, suggested by Rusty. Of those picks, or of those suggestions, the two winners, Massive Attack and White Zombie. So that's a case, I would say, of the two biggest names winning out from that yeah. list. Happens sometimes in those early rounds. It, it does happen sometimes. Now with our second round, I would say this one was a little bit more... There's, I don't think there's a clear big band in this. These were the these were the suggestions. Frotus and their album F Letter by Willie Dillon. Um, Frank Black's self-titled album 
suggested by Jeremy Amend. That's probably the closest, I would say, because Frank Black was in the Pixies. Yeah. Um, Velocity Girls Copacetic, suggested by Kevin Alexander. Inch and their album Stressor, suggested by Paul Verbally or Verbelli. Apologize for the pronunciation incorrection or incorrect pronunciation if there was one there, Paul. Uh, the album Hope and Wait by My Friend Steve, suggested by Stephen Smith, not Stephen A. Smith, just Stephen Smith. So the okay. host of of uh, the ESPN talk show is not the one who suggested sure. that. I, I think mean, Stephen Stephen Smith might be a common name. It might Maybe. be. I'm not sure. Uh, Ruby and the album Salt Peter, suggested by Lauren. Dance Hall Crashers album Purr, suggested by Adam Smith. Space Monkeys, the daddy of them all, suggested by Keith Badge. And Barnaby's Augustus Loop, suggested by Paul DeVos. I'm guessing that's a play on Augustus Gloop from, from the movie Willy Wonka or, or the Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Oh, Factory. wow. Okay. I'm just taking a shot there. Like, like, uh, Veruca Salt. I wonder if the Barnabys ever play with Veruca Salt. That would be quite a matchup. So out of this round, the winners, and it was a little bit closer, Velocity Girl and Ruby were the two that made it into the final round. So for our final four, Copacetic by Velocity Girl, Salt Peter by Ruby, Protection by Massive Attack, Astro Creep 2000 by White Zombie, now, I this was an interesting final four. I thought for sure Massive Attack was going to win this. Yeah. It came you. in third. <laughs> this is why I am not involved in pro- pronos- pro- pronostication. I don't bet. I don't I don't believe I, well, I don't I, I'm terrible at predicting things. It also keep in mind the first two rounds you can vote for as many albums as you want. Sure. Final round you only get one vote, so I think that also changes things. Where you see albums float to the top because they're a second or third favorite amongst a bunch of people, not their top favorite. And then when you flip it, you have things like this happen. I'm still I'm just out of all these records, the fact that. Copacetic by Velocity Girl got 42% of the vote, like dismantling the rest of the field. <laughs> Second place was White White Zombie with 23%, Massive Attack with 19, and Ruby Saltpeter, which I'm not, I mean, we'll get to it eventually, but that's an album that I really, really like. And I was actually was like kind of rooting for it. I, you know, I can't vote for it, but I was very much rooting for it to win because I've I've loved that record since it came out and it came in last so that's it's just how it goes here so we're <laughs> checking out Velocity Girl I if you had told me Velocity Girl was going to be the winner I would not have believed you I thought yeah, maybe I White Zombie might get in because people were like oh man I want to hear what Tim and Jay have to say about White <laughs> Zombie right right here's the here's what we're going to say more human than human is banger. It slaps. That's what that. That's what we're gonna say about that. Uh, 
I'm not going to lie. I loved white zombie in the nineties. Like those, I know they're not their first two albums that they did have eighties albums, but the two big albums that came out in the, in the nineties, I had both of them. I was down with what Rob zombie was selling. But my, my quick take on my personal feelings towards them was intrigued at first. And then pretty quickly disappointed Mm -hmm. in terms of like, Oh, well that's, that's pretty much it like yeah that's what all the other sounds sound like there's it doesn't really go anywhere from here and that kind of turned into rob zombie's solo <laughs> career as well right you know right i mean i i love dragula because <laughs> you can rhyme it with acura slam in the back of my acura <laughs> <laughs> but uh, for a full album review, maybe that was not uh, what people wanted. So let's go to the comments. Ian McIver said, a Massive Attack album that isn't Mezzanine, count me in. I guess it's because Mezzanine gets most of the love for Massive Attack, which Protection, Mezzanine, both fantastic albums. I also think 100th Window is a great album as well by them. Carl said, I voted for White Zombie as I loved that album at the time. I was a teenager and saw them on tour. White Zombie, Pantera, Deftones. What a tour. Oh, my God. Imagine the mosh pit at that thing. Very crazy. My mother let me go in the 90s. Uh, Yeah. Parents had no idea. There was no social media. You couldn't pop show a video of like the mosh pit at a Pantera show. So to, you know, it wouldn't be on Facebook uh, for parents to freak out over. Um, Hey, Jeremy, I said anything but white zombie. Well, you want you got your wish there. Um, Joe Royland, truthfully, I'd be okay with any of these winning, but I'll go with Velocity Girl. Kyle Bittner said, great batch of albums. Velocity Girl still gets my vote. Patrick Testa says, I like all these albums. I got to see Ruby with Pigface in Columbus just a few months before the pandemic hit. It was spectacular. Even in her older age, Ruby was wearing an NS shirt when she performed. I don't know what NS is. Is that a, a type of shirt? Is that like a a brand no or a or a make or a model of a shirt? I'm not sure. Model. Uh, like a Buick? Yeah, is that like a Buick? They still make Buicks? Is Buick still around? Or is it they just got rid of Pontiac, right? The one that I actually like. Yeah, Buick still exists, but they just make SUVs. Like it's one of those brands. Like 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 Porsche now is an SUV company. They were just like, we we need a we need a put a logo on a bunch of SUVs, which come, which one did we own that we could throw on some? It has never made sense to me that General Motors is essentially one car company that produces the same car four times with different badges. Yeah. And people think there's a difference <laughs> and they will like be loyal to Chevy, but not Buick or Pontiac right, or GMC or Saturn or Oldsmobile or Cadillac. They're all the same. It's all the same car. We're emotional beings. We get attached to those logos. I know. And, and what we think they mean. Uh, Whatever Gavin, story we make up our head about what it means to drive a Pontiac. Well, the, you know, I grew up with the Bandit. So the, the T-Bird in the 70s was... See? That's implanted in your head. So it is. You see Tim in a specific way when it comes to Pontiac. There's excitement there. That was the I owned one of the last Pontiacs. I had that G8, which was a horrific winter driver winter driving car with that real wheel yeah. drive. I could not handle it. 
Yeah. <laughs> Gavin said, given I gave three of these albums a thumbs down after listening, re-listening, I'll have to vote for Ruby. Although I'd be interested to hear the Velocity Girl review to hear what everyone loves about it, as I found it unlistenable. The vocal specifically the vocal i do look forward to massive attack getting a review at some point but maybe a different album okay all right interesting i didn't realize that there was any sort of like uh disagreement about massive attacks catalog like i, I thought it was pretty impeachable to be honest i'm surprised that there are some people that are like ah not this one we'll see we'll get to that in the future at some point and uh we still have to do i i don't think we've really tackled a lot of trip hop other than Portishead and, and that one Bowery electric album. So we need to get some more trip hop up in this uh, joint, but Jay, had you ever listened to velocity girl or heard of them before this show? I had heard of them. I did not listen to them. And I thought I had a guess of what they were going to be like, but then once I saw they were in sub pop, I kind of threw it out the window and said, I, I, it's blank slate. I don't know what I'm getting into here. Had you heard of them? Yeah, like you, I'd heard the name. I might have even sampled it that, at some point, but yeah, I was wrong about what I thought they said. I thought it was going to be more like that dog. Yeah. And it it's not. <laughs> we'll get into it, but it's not. Or like Magnum that. Pop or something like that. Yes. Yeah. So a little bit of history on Velocity Girl. History of the band. The band started... Um, with Kelly Young and uh, Archie Moore, who was the guitarist singer of uh, a band called Black Tambourine, which was a indie rock band in uh, Maryland in the very early 90s. And they got together uh, around the same time. They started out uh, under the name The Goddard Democrats. And then change it to Velocity Girl, which is a song by Primal Scream. That's where they got the name. So they be, they added Brian Nelson, who had also been in Black Tambourine with Archie Moore, uh, Jim Spellman, and then found Bridget Cross to be the lead singer. They put out some seven inches on Slumberland Records, which was a very small label in in their area of maryland um and then um bridget cross ended up leaving and she was replaced by sarah shannon so bridget cross only performed on just like the couple of the early seven inch singles that they put out in 1990 and then shannon comes in they put out they put out a lot of seven inches that was like their deal at the very beginning and comps that kind of stuff um signed to sub pop and put out copacetic in march of 1993 that followed with simpatico in june of 1994 and their final album gilded stars and zealous hearts in march of 1996 they also released a couple of eps um, a self-titled one in 93 for Slumberland, a uh, sub pop EP in 94 called Sorry Again, a bunch of seven inch singles. And then, so they broke up mid 90s 
you know, they were done by like after the third record, they, they all went on and did other things. Um, Shannon, uh, Sarah Shannon went solo, put out some solo records and then they ended up getting back together in 2002 to play a reunion show that didn't really turn into anything. And then it was, um, a, there's a venue in DC called the black cat. People might've heard of that if they're from that area or toured or in a band or anything like that. Um, and it was the 30th anniversary of the venue this September. Um, so they they didn't actually it's not at the black cat uh they did the at a bigger venue to celebrate the event to, to actually celebrate the venue they did it um at different venues and one of them was at the bowery in new york with tuscadero who we talked about 11 years ago oh yeah yeah they both reunited and in reuniting um velocity girl put out a new ep on Bandcamp called setting the night on fire with rock and roll and they are i don't know if it's happened yet but they have talked about that they are remixing this record copacetic um they and when they went back to the tapes they found a bunch of extra material that they had forgotten about so they're remixing remastering the whole record they are and they're including like demos b-sides that were on the singles um, covers that they did and never released just a whole bunch of material that's going to be coming out at some point uh, once that uh, remaster is done and, and remix uh, let's get into the record since we got our comments from our Patreon community Jay tell me one thing you liked about Copacetic by Velocity Girl well, I found the vocal really compelling. It's a, uh, it's a very, um, it's different. It's a, uh, it's got some vibrato on it. She sings, um, uh, almost in this childlike tone, you know, it's a pretty high, high register. Um, so, so you got this juxtaposition of, you know, distortion at times and, you know, kind of a noisy production raw production and then you've got this voice that's almost like i said childlike or has an innocence to it uh can be very kind of pretty and melodic and also can be fairly direct almost spoken um i think songs like audrey's eyes is a good example where it's just really good at delivering like a really strong melody it, it's supported in that song with the bass there's a good harmonization going on between the vocal and the bass which gives you this depth of tone there you get the high end from the voice but then you get the obviously low end from the bass and because they're so close in terms of melody it kind of melts together and works really well Dead in everything but losing 
Crazy Town and Pop Lutzer are another example of, you know, she's just effectively delivering pop hooks. You know, they're just melodic songs. They're fairly straightforward. Um, they even have a little bit of almost like, a, I don't know, maybe like 60s pop nostalgia in there, uh, power pop feel, uh, which is a bit unexpected. But I, I just found the vocal... Uh, you know, distinct enough to draw me in and want to pay attention to what's going on there with it. Um, some of the compositions are interesting too. Uh, Pretty Sister is a good example where the structure of that song is um, a little unexpected. You know, there's a um, kind of a break to a noisy section that I think is like a second chorus or something. I don't, just a weird... Uh, what you think is going to be a conventional song and there's just a uh, um, kind of twist in it that I found interesting. Um, and there's some genre blending going on here throughout the record within songs uh, that I thought was uh, conceptually pretty interesting. So crazy town, you know, it's got a pretty straightforward song structure, um, but then this dream pop kind of production to it with these lush acoustics in the middle and this up-tempo chorus and tambourine. And then you've got five fifty-seven waltz, which has a three, four feel, I think. And uh, catching squirrels has a Bo Diddley drum beat to it, which mm -hmm. is with shoegaze guitars over top, which is kind of fun uh, as an idea. So, and then as I mentioned, some of those other songs like um, pop loser and Audrey's eyes that they, you know, border on power pop. So uh, there's a bunch of different genres kind of thrown in this record. Sometimes within the same songs, there'll be juxtapositions of, like I said, you know, something more rhythmic, like uh, a bow diddly drum with shoegaze guitars on top. Um, so I thought that was pretty interesting uh, conceptually, you know, to bring to the record. Uh, I think when you combine that with the vocal, I think there's ingredients there to do some things that are pretty pretty unique and uh, can stand on their own. Uh, that's some of what worked for me. What worked for you? Well, obviously I was wrong about the Vac dog com comparison, other than there being a female singer. <laughs> uh, this is much more in the noise rock slash shoegaze end of the nineties. And it reminded me in parts of early lush before they got a little more streamlined and, and, cleaned up the sound um, it has that ragged early shoegaze sound that even you know has some this is the common comparison but my bloody valentine although not necessarily loveless more it's it's not that thick that heavy wall of distortion um it's more of a of a um a two guitar uh, noise rock sound like on isn't anything and I really like her vocal like you um, it sits well atop the tracks like you mentioned Pop Loser, Crazy Town, Audrey's Eyes um, and, and Living Well is another one where she's able to cut through the noise because of where her vocal is so you're able to get, I don't ever know, I'm not really ever sure what, she, what she's singing, but the melody is there. And that's kind of all I really need for this to work. 
is just this really catchy vocal over these really noisy songs, um, which sometimes are uh, to the point where it, it could almost be like early Jesus and Mary chain where it's just like feedback and it's, it's barely even crafted guitar tone. Um, but for the most part, they stick to kind of that early nineties shoegaze sound. There's, it's hard to tell exactly what the guitars are always doing because there's two of them and it's so noisy, but there was a lot of parts where I was like, you know, it would just be like kind of a, a jangly strumming part. And then you would hear this. I don't know if they're using like a slide or something, but it'd be like, like it would just like roll in to this part and you'd hear like this big heavy guitar part come in heavy relatively speaking not metalish but just in the shoegaze sound and almost would sound like a like a like a boat horn or something where you get this heavy uh guitar tone that sounds pretty slippery it doesn't it doesn't sound as um i don't know if it's like chords with a lot of reverb and a lot of I don't know how they're doing it exactly but it it was a pretty interesting sound because this could have just been straight up jangle noise and you know a a thousand bands did that Um, when they bring in some of the heavier shoegaze elements I think that's what helps separate it a little bit more and gives it a bit more flavor Mm -hmm. Um, I also think that you know they're wearing their influences pretty heavily like a song like here comes that slow build reminded me a lot of like velvet underground And that simplistic drumming of Mel Tucker from that band, just, you know, just like one snare hit and a kick and just very sparse and just sort of building, you know, incredibly slowly. So they, you know, in that, in that respect, they're drawing back into like 60s psychedelic 70s, early 70s, which is an interesting addition to the sound. Um, you know, obviously a lot of shoegaze has a psychedelic element to it, but it's not necessarily quiet. Whereas this band is, it does go quiet for some of their tracks. So there was quite a bit um, that I dug about this record, uh, including the the Bo Diddley beat. I did catch on to that <laughs> at the end, which is an interesting, you know, that's, that's a weird thing to hear in a, in a shoegaze song is that, <laughs> is that beat? Yeah. I mean, that beats in the 
kind of in the ether at this point. So you might do it and not even realize what you're doing, but right. <laughs> if you've listened to enough music, uh, you kind of get it. And certainly stood out to me. It's also unique on the record. Like you just don't hear that use of toms like that. Um, and that much emphasis on the drum beat. So stood out for that reason as well. What didn't work for you on the record? Well, if you notice what I said, what worked, I hedged it in concepts and ideas. Uh, I think the I think the execution on this record is just off. I don't I don't get the choices on the mix. I don't get the choices on some of the drum and bass parts. I don't get the choices on the guitar tone. I don't get the choices on some of the songs that get more experimental um, to the point where it's like, you know, dissonant. It's just odd to me with, with some of the material on here that's more pop forward or melody forward. Those, those turns don't make a sense to me. They don't seem cohesive. My, I think my biggest complaint is probably around the just mismatch between the vocals and the instruments. And sometimes that's pronounced by the mix. Other times it's pronounced by the, the parts. So for example, pop loser, uh, great vocal melody and one of the guitars parts are like really strong in terms of like, Oh, I get this. Okay. Got it. It's sort of this, it should feel like a light floating kind of pop song. Uh, mm-hmm. But rhythmically, I don't know. The drums are just like plotting the drums and bass are like stuck in the mud. Like the song's trying to like take off and soar. And like this drum bass part is just, I don't know, like trying to do something else or just not able to execute well what the you know the other guitar and the vocal are trying to do. And there's just a mismatch that doesn't sound on purpose to me. It doesn't sound like a dissonance or intention. It just sounds like poor execution to me. well you know super dissonant guitar tones the drumming on that song is just not solid uh there's some really rough sounding fills some timing stuff that's just not quite right it just sounds disjointed in a again not in a purposeful way but in a 
you know, this is like a poor demo or just amateurish. Um, and then on the vocal mix, you know, there's times where it's, it gets, it gets close, like things are balanced and it's vocal forward and the music supporting it. And there are other times where it just sounds like the singer's in another room and they're not playing with the band. Like the band's playing a, one song and the singer's singing a different song and they're like literally not even in the same room. Um, it's 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 odd copacetic i think is an example of that um lisa librarian a chang i just don't get like i don't get a mesh there a cohesive idea um and then yeah just the inconsistency i think with some of the particularly the bass and drum parts you know, I, I can, my biggest complaint with the guitar parts is just the tones are so brittle. They're difficult to, to listen to loud. There's not great guitar tones. Mm -hmm. And then, but I can kind of get around that if the performances are, you know, compelling. And very often the bass and more specifically the drum playing, it's just, it's just not good. It's not, it's just not high quality and or cohesive with the rest of the band and if, if i have to break it down you know I, I don't want to say that the biggest thing that doesn't work is the drumming but if you probably break it down it's a it's one of the weakest parts and if you got weak to me if you got weak drumming you're in a you got a major problem it, it's yeah. really hard to recover a band to recover from a poor drum track on a song it's just really hard to overcome that um and I think often here, to me, that's what I hear. I hear not only is the tone of the drums not great, but the performance, which is even more important, is just like sloppy or amateurish. Like it just does not hold up. So execution, man. I like the ideas here. I like, you know, there's some potential shown. I'm compelled by some of the elements, but all in all, it just not executed well for me. Anything not work for you? Well, yes. Unfortunately, a lot of it doesn't work. Um, I read on uh, one of the reviews on Rate Your Music said that the snare drum sounds like the rubber lid of a can of Quaker Oats. And <laughs> oh man, yeah, yeah. I thought I that, that pretty much nailed it. Um, <laughs> it's somehow both thin and annoying mm -hmm. um it's i think this this sounds like seven inches compiled yeah you know seven yeah. inches don't have good mm -hmm. um fidelity which is part of their charm it's you know it's a yeah it's part of the like yeah go in do a quick cheap recording put it yeah, out cheap yeah. and yeah put it out cheap yeah I feel yeah, like they needed to, I know that they were doing a lot of seven inches. I feel like they needed to up the game for the record and they just didn't from what I read. They did on the next record because they actually got a real producer in the studio. I don't even know that they had a producer for this and they needed one because on, on all levels, it fails, even though there are some songs that sort of 
elevate the the performances but like you said there i mean the rhythm section is incredibly limp it's just it's really hard to listen to these songs that feel like they should have urgency and the snare is so weak you can barely hear most of the kit when the, when the guitars are up and those guitars are so not pleasant that you're just hearing this like wall and it's you know i've listened to a lot of shoegaze and this end of shoegaze is hard for me to digest i like a lot of distortion but i like it to be crafted a little bit like i like a little bit of thought put into how are you going to get a distortion that is not just a brittle feedback sound and I think that maybe they recognize that considering they're going back and remixing the whole album and, you know, re-releasing it for its, yeah, you know, good for its own good. Um, I really like her vocal. And I think that in the right setting with the right songs, it can do something really special. I, there are, I mean, like you said, like crazy town and pop loser and, Audrey's eyes like these are good songs they're just in really in need of the rest of the band to step it up um, and the recording to step it up now it, it could entirely be the recording like we might hear a remix of this and and it might be like hearing the replacements Tim like it might be revelatory it could be maybe I, I, it's like uh, there's definitely something sonically off about this record the way it's mixed is, is a chang is probably the best example where you're just like these are not melting together there's something missing there's something about the choices of where where they place the vocal and there's like it, there's a hollowness to it right there's this vocal yes. that's like up and out you know in space and then there's this band that's trying to do something i think kind of heavy and like rhythmic and it's not melting together That song is a good example because there's parts of that song where it's 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 just like this big noisy mid-tempo rocker and then she comes in and sings and it sounds like she's in another room and just is hearing yeah. this band play and is right. trying to come up with stuff over top <laughs> <Right>. of it <laughs> right but it doesn't seem connected at all to what they're doing yeah yeah um also yeah, you you want it to sound like she's in the room and like i don't know part of the part of the vibe man it's like it's just not it's two different things it's very bizarre um whoever is singing on lisa librarian should not do that 
Yeah. I, I think they're yeah. out of key for the whole song. Yeah, it's rough. It's it's like a that is about as local a local band sounding demo sounded. Like that's something that's on a cassette that you you drop off at the bar hoping to get your first gig. Like it should not be on your sub top debut. Yeah. It's just it's it's really rough. I understand that uh, the overall that there is an aesthetic to this and that people want to hear this sort of lo-fi ish sound. Um, But the fact that her vocal can reach such nice melodic highs kind of like negates that. Like clearly they know they've got something with her that she can sing and the fact that the rest of the band and the recording is not stepping up to what she can do is is kind of it's just disappointing. Yeah. Um, so. But I have not heard the second record or the third record, and I've heard that those or, you know, Wikipedia says uh, that they showed more traditional indie power pop influences rather than noisy shoegaze in tendencies. So maybe that's the one that we need to be listening to next time if somebody else suggests it. And then, of course, uh, by the time the third one came around, uh, they got they got shot down for writing in an, un, according to Trouser Press, an uninspired album of relatively straight ahead mainstream pop. So you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. If you make the noisy stuff, uh, people called it oatmeal can rock. And then if you don't, it's it's straight ahead well, uninspired i like to I, I think we've reviewed plenty of records that are noisy and dissonant but still work mm-hmm. they're just something not gluing the glue is not on this record I, I don't know if it's a mixed thing performance thing um a refinement in the songwriting i'm not quite sure we've thrown out a bunch of ideas i can say i think the takeaway is that the glue's not there so where uh, do you land overall for this record? Where Boy, the album this, better EP? Decent yeah, song. this is the closest I've gotten to a single in a while. In fact, I can't remember the last single I've I've handed out. I'm not going to go there. Just to be honest with with my notes here, you know, I've highlighted the songs that I think work. What I'm struggling with is I don't know that these songs together even make a cohesive EP. It's almost like to your point about the seven inches, there's almost like two seven inches here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but I'll just list off the songs that work for me, uh, which are certainly more than two. So Crazy Town um, I think is, is strong. I, I think an album of that would be fine. We'd be having a different conversation. Uh, I think Copacetic works fine enough Audrey's Eyes is another cool direction that this band could go that I think would work really well for a whole album. Um, 57 Waltz um, and Candy Apples. Okay. My, it's, a, it's an instrumental. I think it works pretty well. I think, again, it kind of removes the vocal part of the equation to just say like, you know, as a band, like this is what we sound like. And I think it, musically works pretty well but to me those are again those five songs are more of a some combination of you know a couple seven inches not a ep 
Yeah, I agree with you. I think this is like a double seven inch with my my four songs would be Crazy Town, Pop Loser, Living Well, and Audrey's excuse me, Audrey's Eyes. Those would be my A's and B's. Now I did look on their discography. Crazy Town and Audrey Eyes were both seven inch singles that they had put out. So I don't know yeah. if they re-recorded them for this or just used them as they were yeah. on those seven inch releases. But that to- totally makes sense. Uh, so who was it that suggested this? Kevin Alexander. Kevin, thank you for suggesting this. This is an interesting, if challenging, somewhat frustrating record. I don't know that it's going to... I mean, I understand why this was, for some people, unlistenable, like Gavin. But I also understand why some people would really dig this because of the sort of very ethereal style vocal that sits yeah. above this noise. I'm curious on the if if the aesthetic is what's attractive for those folks or not. Because it's just something I think you and I have been pretty unanimous on when we come across these records where this is kind of the execution presentation and we... Uh, it's just very difficult. Yeah. Listens for us to, to really observe, uh, get into it. And obviously this record is well liked. Otherwise we wouldn't be talking about it. it went, right. We talked, we went through all the albums that beat it out to make it here. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of compelled by, you know, continuing to understand like, is it the aesthetic of this record? Like some others. So we've talked about and what is it that we're not getting? Yeah. But you know, that's the whole, point of this is for us to be not just get records that we yeah you know enjoy but stuff that challenges us and stuff we have to you know maybe get uh, a little dirty with in terms of you know it's not always going to work but we got to f- it's fun to figure out why sometimes uh things we've, don't work we've with us and other challenging records where i think we've started to stumble on like oh that's why like oh you you need to be on drugs to understand this and i get that like <laughs> why that might be an experience that really works for some people and why that then that record is a thing and like i haven't done that so i'm okay but yeah this has still been a symbolic of a uh a style that i haven't been able to kind of wrap my head around right um before we go before we wrap up this episode uh, we have to mention, if uh, if you're a fan of this podcast, I know that not everybody is a patron, um, so you might not have uh, heard the news, but one of our um, beloved and uh, long, um, I don't want to say longstanding, but someone who's been with us for quite some time, um, he was literally just here last month, uh, Stephen John. Steve Musinski passed away uh, quite recently. It's a shock to all of us. Um, you know, like we said, we just talked to him in October and did the super drag episode and the news broke uh, over the Thanksgiving weekend. Um, the outpouring of um, love and remembrances on Facebook has been 
really heartening to see. And then, you know, the comments that we've gotten in our discord of um, people who have, you know, really enjoyed the opportunity to, to interact with Steve and are really going to miss him. It's I'm still having a hard time processing it. Um, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. So I think the thing that has sort of uh, resonated with me through reading all the comments is just like what a strong community we've built. And um, how much everybody brings of their love of music and it's it's just so nice to <clears throat> sorry it's it's really nice to be able to hang around with everybody and um yeah just it was just a shock and um just still processing it so we love you steve we're gonna miss you um Jay, if you want to hop in here. <laughs> yeah, oh. yeah, yeah. I didn't want to get in your way. Um, no, it's okay. Yeah, Stephen, he was, you know, one of those people that when I do this show, when we're giving feedback, when we're recording, when I'm putting it in my notes, he's like one of those people I think about. Like, what's he going to think? And like, you know, is he going to like this? And what's he going to think about this feedback? And you know, he just became like, I think pretty early on, you know, he's been involved yeah, um, for a long time since 2016. Um, and was a huge part of the community that we've started to build here. That has been, I think for Tim and I just, humbling like we had no idea as we moved into patreon and started to build out a discord and you know invite folks and start having conversations we had no idea um sort of the the impact it would have on each other and on us which has been amazing and he's just a, he's just been a huge part of that um i'm thankful that we got to do the super drag episode with him a month ago yeah um, it was a love fest, you know, it was a record he loved. It was a record we loved. Um, you know, I think every time we did an episode with him, I left a little smarter, you know, seeing, seeing music a little bit different and he just, he was just a positive fun guy. Like at least our, you know, um, what he brought to other people. Um, so you know, you would get off a chat with him or a call with him and you just, I don't know. I just felt lifted every time, you know? Uh, yeah. And yeah, he will be missed. I know it, you can tell from the comments in the discord, he made it a huge impact on, on a lot of folks. And I guess one of the cool things is that, you know, he was in a band, he made music. Um, one of his bands was called hollow earth. You can go stream it. You know, his contributions are out there. You can go uh, hear him sing, hear him play bass, hear what he put out in the world. And we were lucky enough to, you know, 
play a small part in that too, with him picking records and coming on the podcast. And, you know, many times um, we have a, you know, a little, little archive now of all the records that he's picked and round table he's, he's been on. And I don't know, I'm just a big believer in like putting things out in the world, you know, creating and making things is kind of what we're here for. Um, yep. That's why we exist. So I just think that's so important to do. And he's just, he's one of those people that took that seriously and did it. And uh, I think we're all grappling with the idea of him not being around anymore, but um, in a way he kind of is right. Cause he put his, he's put his thoughts out there. He put his spirit out there. He put his voice out there. It's recorded. We can, we do have the opportunity to listen to it and sort of, you know, take and learn from what he left. So um, I'm thankful for that. Yeah. I wanted to share. Um, I asked for some comments from folks and I, <clears throat> I wanted to share them. Uh, Willie said um, he has such a positive vibe and I always enjoyed his contributions, whether through joining the podcast or his comments here on discord. I always loved when he popped up and always hoped he would do so more often. He's going to be greatly missed. Um, yeah. I, re- I And speaking of the, the positive vibe, when hollow earth was on tour, they came to Columbus. Uh, this is, you know, this must've been like six or seven years ago. Yep. And um so I, I wanted to go to the show because I had heard them online and I was like, you know, when am I getting an opportunity to go see uh, one of our patrons bands? This is pretty cool. And he warned me, he's like, this is going to be loud. <laughs> so they played the big room bar here in Columbus, which is not a big venue. I mean, it's a bar. It has, you know, room for maybe 200 people. There were four bands on the bill. I think they were playing like second or third. And um, when they started, the room filled with smoke from from fog machines in this little bar. Yeah. Like they put on a performance. And um, when he got done, he came over to me and he's like, the first thing he said was, I hope that wasn't too loud, man. Uh, <laughs> <which I> thought, <laughs> Dude, it's a concert. Of course, it's going to be yeah, loud. Yeah, yeah. He's like, I know this isn't your thing necessarily. I was like, no, man, it was awesome. I loved it. Yeah. Um, but he had just that kind of empathetic um, warmth about him. And that's what everybody, you know, said in, in the comments that they were sharing. Um, and, you know, and it's weird because Chip brought this up, you know, it, when you find your people, he said, it makes the world a very small place. And the internet has allowed us to meet and form relationships with the people we would not have otherwise met. Um, and he, he, he thinks that he first got to know Stephen through Dewey Cole. Right. Who, if you're in Columbus, you know, Dewey, he was part of the community here. And um, he said, perhaps we met on some Facebook post or something. Um, and uh, he, he said, I'm, we probably were at a local H show together, even though I don't remember ever meeting him in person. Right. Um, but that when he heard him on the podcast, he felt like he already knew him. Um, and it was nice to put a, a voice to the name. Um, Jeremy said, Steve's Steven's album selections were um, and positive input on the other albums uh, of a wide variety of genres should serve as an indicator of how interesting and accepting he was his joy and excitement for music was contagious 
And I was looking back and, you know, when you look through all the records that he picked, it is a wide array. I mean, you have everything from Ida, which I, I that might have been the first time that the Deem joined us was for that Ida right. episode in 2001. Yeah. And, um, you know, that's a very quiet record. Yep. And then the next record follows it up with Into Another's Ignore Us, which is the opposite of a quiet record. Right. And then you get stuff like Local H and Stanford Prison Experiment and and then Super Drag. You know, it's a lot of different music and he loved it all. And that was what came through um, in his love and enthusiasm for the music that he shared with us and that he shared with everybody. And I was, you know, on Facebook, obviously looking through various friends and it was just a universal, you know, I discovered this band because Steve introduced me to them Yeah, or, you know, the comments were just, let me put it this way. Um, there were a lot and I know a lot of people are hurting, but the amount of love and joy that he brought to everybody <clears throat> really shows. So we're going to miss you, Steve. And um, I think we're going to wrap it up here and just say thank you to the community for your outpouring of um, love and uh, remembrances. And, um, you know, we're going to keep doing this and um, we're going to keep putting stuff out there, man. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I'm just going to wrap it up and say for Jay, I'm Tim. We're out and we'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out. <laughs>